Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Book Journeys Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Angela Loria. I am the founder of the Author Incubator and creator of the 10 Steps to Write a Book That Makes a Difference. I call that the difference process. And one of the keys to writing a book that makes a difference, um, sadly, I guess in some ways, is very often the authors that I work with have been through some difficult times, they've learned some hard lessons, and it becomes important in their own healing to share what they've learned, maybe save people some some pain and some of the lessons they learned or just to share that camaraderie of experience. And certainly I think that is the case for today's guest, Maxine Brown. Maxine Brown is an inspirational speaker and the author of Years of Tears. Uh, Maxine, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So tell us about your book. Tell us about Years of Tears. It's a it's a memoir? Yes, it is. Um, Years of Tears is a 10-year marriage uh, to uh, a person who was a minister, but who was also extremely controlling. And our story is not so much about physical abuse as it was about verbal, emotional, and psychological abuse. Um, It lasted for 10 years, um, and during that time, I was cut off from family and friends. Um, Even I was cut off from my own children, Uh, and uh, he controlled everything. You name it, he controlled it. Money, transportation, the phone, the mail, everything. And it was a gradual process. He brainwashed me and uh, silenced me, and by the time I was completely shut down in silence, he began to physically abuse one of my kids. And I could not protect my children from what was going on. And uh, so I wound up abandoning my own children, as awful as that sounds, um, but I'm giving you a thumbnail version of 10 Mm -hmm. years. And uh, by the time I left, I was suicidal. I had become severely depressed. And I could not go on anymore. But my faith in my mind at the time, the, my belief system at the time was that if I, I, there was no grounds for divorce, if there was no adultery, so I had to stay until death. And so I was very sick at the time, and so I planned my suicide as a way of escaping. And I tell about that in the book. I left instead, and then I went, that began my road to recovery. And it took me, it was a process to recover. But I was able to do that, and I um, I got a job, I went to counseling, I got healthy, I restored relationships, and I rebuilt my life from nothing. And um, wow. that's what the book's about. So it takes you on that entire journey, and today I'm happily married, and even that's in the book, how I, I <laughs> found a very nice man and uh, remarried. So Wow. And so why did you write the book? What was your what was your motivation in writing it? I I felt like the story had to be told. It was one of those things that I was passionate about this topic. Uh, I work uh, in a survivors task force of domestic violence um, already, but I wanted to make a difference for other people. 
uh, the damage to my family was so severe, and to my children in particular, that um, I I could not change what happened to us. You know, it, it's you know you can't unring the bell, but I could possibly pay it forward by telling the stories. I emphasize um, the red flags. How can you recognize what I didn't see at the time? Because it's all about helping the next person see it quicker than I did. So even if they're in a situation like this, many victims of domestic violence don't recognize they are victims. And so they stay when they should run for their lives. So I try to, you know, show those red flags so that they can see more clearly where they are and maybe get some help. So what so that was the was moment earlier what was the moment earlier in your relationship that now you would see as a red flag that at the time you saw as, I don't know, a communication problem or something? Oh, man. I would say one of the, the first things that showed up that I, I didn't realize was um, it was a whirlwind romance. Um, as soon as he saw any kind of opening, I, I hadn't dated for five years after my, my first marriage broke up, I had two little kids, you know, and I was going to stay away from men, and I was just, you know, that was it for me. And then uh, he sent me this uh, 18-page marriage proposal by Federal Express. Oh. He, we had After never how met. long I were you dating? We weren't dating. It, this is, I met him through my job over the telephone. Oh. And uh, I worked in the construction industry, and we handled spare parts and machinery from um, – Canada, through the United States, and into Mexico. And so it was one of my customers. I met him through the job. Um, but, you know, we just had light conversation. Then we became pen pals, and uh, we weren't dating. But as soon as I said, I think I'm ready to go out to dinner with someone if I'm ever asked, he s- immediately sent me a marriage proposal. Now, that was a huge red flag. It was fireworks red flag. But... I didn't see it at the time, you know. I had my blinders on. I was so flattered, you know. Oh, wow, how romantic. You know, I I noticed the romantic part, and I didn't notice what on earth is this person doing. You know, it didn't even, I didn't even notice that. So that Hmm. was my first red flag right there. Warning sign. Warning, warning, warning. And so what would you say to somebody in uh in a position like that right now? Just run? I well, mean, it's it's a tricky well, thing cuz you're feeling interested in this person and excited think, that you get asked out and I don't think I would say run. I would say introduce the person to your best friend. You know, hmm. introduce the person to your family because usually they can sniff um, a jerk out faster than we can because they're not mm. in love, you know. You're all excited mm. and you're flattered and you throw those rose-colored glasses on, right? And you, you're you just looking at all the best. Oh, he's so tall, he's so this, he's so wonderful, he talks to me so nice, and that's all you see. But your friends are looking at, who is this guy really? They're looking at a different angle. And so many times they can see things you can't. And usually if he's a great guy, they're going to say, wow, he's a great guy. Mm-hmm. But but if he's not a great guy, they might be able to tell before you can because they're not in wow. love. 
they don't have a fantasy thing going on. You do, <laughs> you know. Right. Fascinating. So when you decided to turn this story into a book, and a, and a lot of people have this experience where everyone's like, oh, you got to tell your story. What a crazy throw. Oh, that's a, you know, you got to tell everybody. Um, but somehow you decided to actually sit down and do this. Did you have an idea in your head of what um, success would look like, what you wanted to come from it? Was it more about writing it, or was there a specific goal you had in mind? Uh, to be honest with you, I had um, I had a very specific goal. It was like I saw in my mind the um, the structure of the book. Hmm. I wanted uh, I didn't want to just tell my story because really it was my children's story, my story. Uh, I wanted to interview my sister, my brother-in-law. I wanted to interview the foster mother of one of my kids. I wanted to interview anyone who had gone through this journey with me, then compile their interviews and throw it all together into the book. And then there's something called the power and control wheel, and there are eight categories on the power and control wheel, and it's different tactics that users use against their victim. And I had every, every single tactic on the wheel, I had it in my story. So I mm. used that as the framework of mm. the book, right? So I dedicate one chapter to uh, threats, you know, and then everybody told their stories. I recorded them and transcribed them, and any stories that had to do with threatening behavior, I threw it into that chapter. So it's not a chrono I mean, it's roughly chronological, but really it's more about those tactics, how they were used, the impact of the tactic on us and the red flags I missed. So every chapter. So if so, I want to. So this brings up two things. This is really great. So the first thing is the power of having a structure for your book, even if yes. it's you know the uh, seven habits of highly effective people. Once you come up with those seven habits, organizing your book becomes a whole lot easier and a whole lot faster. So I, I can love tell you, I'm very me. lucky. Yeah, that's, that's that's a great piece of advice for people uh, listening. But the other thing is, on the one hand, I'm hearing your goal to organize your material in the way that it would be most helpful that a reader could find themselves in one of these, like, eight situations or more than one of them and be like, oh, that's, like, my situation. Mm-hmm. But one of the things about writing a book that makes a difference is – getting the book in um getting the book in people's hands. And so I'm wondering if you were visualizing I noticed that you are now an inspirational speaker. Were you speaking before you wrote your book or was your book a way to kind of launch your speaking career? Were there were there goals of how you would reach people that were part of why you wrote the book? Or you know, for some people, it's just, I, I just wanted to tell my story, and if the only people that read it were my kids, at least it was helping, you know, helping to heal some of the pain of separation or whatever. Now, I never, I had a, always had a bigger idea than that, and I've, um, of course, I was in the ministry, so um, I was used to speaking from the pulpit, right? And then um, I had worked for eight years uh, in the, in a welfare program, and I taught life skills classes 
to uh, mm-hmm. welfare recipients. So I had multiple years of experience in speaking before people, and I love public speaking. That's something I'm very passionate about. So, uh, but in my process, I had to take this one step at a time because mm-hmm. I knew if I hit a roadblock early on, I would quit because I'd been told mm-hmm. for so many years that I was nothing, that I would never be anybody without this person, right? So yeah. um, that I was stupid, that I was worthless. So I had to take baby steps. Mm. So the first thing I did was I finished the book. Then I did the cover. <laughs> you know, then I did the, you know, uh, ISBN number. And how long was and the process I, from when you started it to when you finished? It took me, uh, uh, it probably took about eight months to write the book. Then I printed out copies and gave it to people close to me, and I said, read this, scribble all over it. You know, how is it for you? So um, I uh, gave it, I don't know how many copies I gave out, 15, 20. And then uh, waited for feedback because I'd never written a book before, there's no way it could possibly be great, right? And that's in my mind. Somebody's going to right. tell me something negative. So um, I didn't get a lot of negative feedback. I, I'm, I'm not sure why, but um, I had a sociologist read it. I had uh, uh, friends, close friends read it. I, you know, I tried very uh, varied background. And uh, what another friend of mine, she's written two books. I had her read it. And... Um, they said it was good. There were minor corrections, uh, some structural things, and any feedback I got, I just made I made the adjustments, you know. Then I went to self-publishing. Again, the main so reason I chose that. Before we get into publishing, I want to stop yes. you because I want to talk about the writing process here That's for a few more minutes. Um, so for you with where you were emotionally um, in your own journey and what you know about how you work in your personality, you describe this process as a very slow process. In reality, writing a book in eight months is actually pretty fast. Um, even uh, actually, draft. my part of the book, I'll be honest with you, it was a lot faster than that. It was like three or four months, my own right. part. So you weren't because really going slow, but you were giving yourself permission to go slow. Yeah. It almost, um, I mean, that, that's what I'm hearing is that there was almost a, a deal you made with yourself that, you know, we can stop at any time and we don't have to go quickly. And you were being very gentle with yourself in the process and almost that way of thinking made it possible for you to actually go pretty fast. Act, well, actually, it was, it was more, it, it, was, it was not as, as uh I had a, a writing schedule because I was working a full-time job. So mm-hmm. I got up at I got up at four o'clock in the morning and I wrote from, you know, uh, I tried to write Monday through Friday, four in the morning until six thirty ish, right? That was my. Sometimes I could go as as seven something. Um, now there were days when I wrote like a fiend there were days when I had to completely take the day off. You know, it, it just wasn't working for me. If it wasn't working for me, I didn't fight it. I just went with mm-hmm. what was flowing. And then because I had my chapter titles, if one day I felt like writing about emotional abuse, I wrote about that. 
if one day mm-hmm. I felt like writing about, uh, oh, I don't know, an economic abuse, you know, wherever I remember the story, I would just cut over to that chapter and type my brains out mm. and tell that story. And I wasn't worried too much about was the sentence perfect or, you know, I was just trying to capture the thoughts at first. Yeah. And then um, yeah. then I had to conduct the interviews. Once I had uh, mostly my story done, I had to make uh, schedule interviews with the people I wanted to interview. And that was a process in itself because they had their own emotional baggage attached to talking about this. We'd all tried to bury this thing, mm. you know, and forget it ever happened. Um, but How did you deal with that? How did you well, deal with, you know, making it safe for people to share with you when, you know, it probably felt more comfortable to never talk about this chapter again? Um, actually, before I started the book, I asked everyone's permission. I, I said, okay. I'm getting ready to write a book. I want you to know that I'm going to write the whole story. I'll change all the names. I, I said, but um, how would you feel about that? Okay, I got everybody, I got a green light across the board. And I said, I want to interview you. So I had given them months ahead of time. I had told them I wanted to do these interviews. So they had time to think about it. Then I called them when I was ready for the interviews. And uh, one of my daughters said, no, I'm not, I changed my mind, I'm not doing it. I said, okay. And I just went with anybody who said yes. Right? They said yes, I did mm-hmm. it. And then I worked on the transcriptions. And then I followed there, up Was there again. anyone that said no to you? Was there anyone that wasn't comfortable or where the, where the interview went, maybe the, yeah, not actually, the way you wanted it to? Yes, my uh, one of my daughters, uh, in order for her to do the interview, I'm just going to be honest, uh, she uh, uh, she had a few drinks because she said, she said, I don't even think about that stuff anymore. She had it so buried uh, mm. that in order, she just, that's the only way she could even talk about it. Um, and my uh, sister, my brother-in-law, uh, they backed out. They said if he ever finds out, he'll uh, file a lawsuit, and uh, we don't want to have any more drama in our lives. We, we don't want to be involved in that. And I said, okay. So I respected their wishes. Um, wow. So it wound up... And yeah, were there people the that you didn't include in the story? That, you know, if you didn't interview them, did that mean you didn't include them in the story at all? I I did talk about uh, lots of people who knew who um, I talked about my therapist, uh, you know, different people that I did not interview, um, but I changed everybody's name. You know, I don't even mention the state that the uh, story occurred in anywhere in the book, you know. So he can do whatever he wants, but really there's no... I I did not want to hurt him in any way. I'm trying to tell a story that happened to me and my family, mm. but I really mean right. him no whatsoever. Uh, so he can do whatever he wants. I don't think he has a case. Right. So were there aspects of the process of writing the book where you got blocked or stopped or felt like uh, you didn't know what to write in a certain section? How, how did that work for you? Um, 
some of the hardest stuff actually was the transcription, particularly that I had to do uh, for my daughter who was abused. Um, And I had wound up abandoning my kids. And so there were days where I could not write at all or I could not transcribe. I couldn't look at it. You know, uh, I think uh, one of the longest breaks I took may have been three weeks. I just couldn't even deal with it. You know, I had to completely take a break. Mm. Um, And then how much... It's really hard when you're telling your own story. You're trying to make a story flow. You're trying to make it appeal to anyone, you know. You want them to follow the story. But um, my memory is because of all the trauma. Everything is like uh, it's like taking a mirror and shattering the glass. And there's these shards of glass that don't really flow at all in a straight line. <laughs> so it probably yeah. is really good that for me... Um, I was going around that power and control wheel with the categories because I couldn't tell the story in a straight line if my life depended on it. I mean, I remember the major things, but my memory doesn't work like that anymore. It's um, those years are uh, it's kind of like those shards of glass. Um, it doesn't go in a line anymore. So, um, but you know, uh, it was hard to be objective with my own writing. Is this a story? You know? With a, and I didn't let anyone read it until it was completely finished because I was, um, again, it, one little bit of negative feedback at the very beginning, I would not have been able to finish. I would have gotten stopped. Right. I think that's great. You know, a lot of people uh, talk to me about working with writers groups. And a lot of times I caution people against that for that very, um, you know, for that re- very reason. Writers groups often are trying to be helpful, and in the yeah. process of trying to be helpful, you, they will give you negative feedback because they're trying to provide feedback. The members in the group are trying to provide feedback, and that can really send people back and slow them down. So I love as a, you know, as a lesson for our listeners here is just being really careful about who you share your story with, how you share your story, and knowing knowing that negative feedback might slow you down uh, and sort of steering clear about that at least until you reach certain milestones and certain landmarks. And let me say and one I know, thing, too. Yeah. My, my sister is someone, I only have one sibling, and her opinion always has mattered to me very much. I didn't give, she didn't read the book until it was, bound and I had my finished, absolute finished product because I knew if she said anything negative, I would not have been able to jump that hurdle. So I protected myself because it was so important to me to finish and have a finished product that um, I did not, since I knew that was going to be a landmine situation for me, I did not allow myself to even have the possibility of something bad happening. I protected me. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That's great. I, I think that's great advice. And you did the same thing with publishing. So let's talk a little bit about your experience with publishing and how you went the way that you went. Okay. Um, with the publishing part, I knew that I would not be able to stand up under the rejection of the traditional system because I would have quit again. I would not have been able to handle that. So... Um, I was very lucky that uh, all the pieces came together for me. 
I saw a video on YouTube, actually, uh, a two-minute video. This is how you publish a book. You do this, you do this, you do this. And then I just wrote down the steps, and I did one, step one, check, step two. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just wow. that methodical. Um, and I called, um, uh, oh, dear, my mind just went blank, uh, Digipod. Uh, mm-hmm. And I had a I had a conversation with them, and they were very helpful, and I thought, all right, I'm going to use them, you know. And um, they walked me right through the process. I didn't feel like I was all by myself, and um, it, it, it worked out really well. It worked out really well. And I know um, so, they say that. And so part yeah. of the reason, so you, so you you never even considered traditional publishing. You went with a print-on-demand service, so you didn't need to uh, buy. You didn't need to buy in bulk, but it looks like, or did you? Because it looks like you printed 500 books Actually, from the first printing. I printed 500 books. Now I know I've heard people say that most authors never sell more than 300. They're lucky to sell 300. Once they get through family and friends, it's over. I knew um, that I had a bigger audience for this topic. And I wasn't even, I didn't care that much about my family and friends (laughs) reading it. Actually, uh, I didn't tell my, most of my uh, relatives are in the Midwest, and no one in my family even knew I wrote a book until this summer. So it had been out a whole year. And I didn't tell anyone in my family. Uh, so what I did was I started a online marketing. Um, I, I set up a Twitter account. When I, when I started my social media campaign, I didn't know what Twitter was. <laughs> if you can get, that's really where I was. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't understand anything about any of it. But I read uh, Sandra with a uh, newsletter, I think her name is. Yeah, yeah, I know who that is, yeah. Okay, so she has a great newsletter, and I started with her stuff and just read, uh, what do you do? How do you get book publicity, book buzz? And then everything I would learn, then I would do it. So I'm on Goodreads. I'm on the author's den. I have... Uh, a Twitter thing. I have a Facebook page. I have a YouTube channel. I mean, I just I just started one after another. I'd learn the the platform, start using it, and then once I was really confident with that, I'd add the next platform. And um, I'm on LinkedIn, and that's the last one I learned was LinkedIn. I'm having really nice success with LinkedIn, which. You know, at the first, I didn't even know what that was. Again, didn't know what it was. Right. So, um, but I'm making contacts with people, and uh, we're networking. And now I'm uh, I'm having uh, my first face-to-face meetings with some of them. I've been on the telephone with others that I met through Twitter. I've gotten radio interviews through Twitter. Um, it, it's been very interesting. But one thing I saw. So it's, my I mean, it's been, uh, you know, I think only a two or three year journey for you since you started writing the book. 
and it looks like the whole approach has been like find one thing and do it, like one one step at a time, one thing at a time. And you've had a book out for a year. Hundreds of people have heard your story. You yep. have had public speaking opportunities that you wouldn't have had without a book. Yeah. Um, so what's the best thing in our, you know, kind of final minutes here? Um, we've, we've got about a minute left. What's the best thing to have come out of, of writing and publishing this book for you? Uh, I want to say that um, the most exciting thing was I was on a child abuse um Log Talk radio program, uh, the, the host was out of Los Angeles. There was somebody from Ireland in the call, somebody from New York City on the call. I mean, I could see the whole, you know, world. We are together on this call, and they said, we want to work with you. We want to work with you. Now, I, um, I, I, I get that kind of, a, of um, energy frequently. I would like to see more books sold <laughs> with, the, you know, with the energy, if you know what I'm saying. But um, that was extremely exciting. And um, I feel like I'm just beginning, um, actually. Yeah. It's, taken me, it's taken me a whole year to get my foundation laid, and I feel like I'm just beginning. And I think the best is I have uh, numerous other books I've already uh, – I'm about to finish one, and I have a couple other things in the in the in the works. So um, I think exciting things are happening, and I'm 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 thrilled I did this. I'm, I'm and you have a new uh, you have a new website people can check out, which is at maxinebrown.com. That's M-A-X-I-N-E-B-R-O-W-N-E. So Maxine Brown is on the end of both those words. dot com. Years of Tears is available on Amazon.com. Maxine, thanks for being with us and for sharing your story. Thanks so much for having me. And we will be back next week on Book Journeys Radio, where we are changing the world one book at a time. <laughs>